1: Step-back three from the top. Got it! Got it! Giannis ties the game and becomes the Bucks' all-time leading score on one
0: stroke. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. I play basketball and win and win yeah. oh my
2: six we're gonna be we're gonna win a six hello and welcome to episode 369 of the women's six podcast proudly a part of the eurostep podcast network and the blue wire podcast family i'm your host adam mcgee and joining me as always is my good friend jordan tresky jordan how are you
1: i'm doing well how are you
2: I am also doing well. We've got a should be a very fun and most importantly, informative episode coming up. I feel like you and I and probably many books fans are currently still in need of, you know, whatever, whatever information we can get on the newest members of the Milwaukee books uh, as we record less than 24 hours after draft night. So, we have uh, someone who is much better placed than us to give us that expertise. A repeat of something we did last year. Uh, good friend of ours, longtime friend, Lucas Harkins. Man, all over all things college basketball and just draft prospects more generally. He's going to drop in and we're going to get the lowdown on the newest members of the books. But first, I hope you'll allow us all a couple of minutes. We're just going to be a, a little bit more self-indulgent than we usually are. I know you're probably thinking Jordan's always self-indulgent, you know, but we are probably, I would say, two, three hours away from hitting exactly seven years since we recorded the very first episode of the Win and Six podcast. Myself, Jordan, and Ty Windish sat down on that faithful night. As not quite strangers, but pretty close to it, and um, we started a books podcast, and three hundred and sixty-eight episodes later, here we are. Uh, I really do think there are there are a few people who have probably been there all along, or very close to it, which is amazing. There are people who have been with us from our behind-the-book past days and used to read all of our writing and listen to the pod when it was officially the Behind the Book past podcast, and you follow us on our journey as we went independent, and you follow us on our journey as we've teamed up with Ty and Rohan, who you first heard on podcasts on The Win at Six, and we formed the Eurostep Podcast Network. So it really has been an incredible seven years of covering the bulky books. It's been quite the journey. I watched Rise today, the Yannis film. That only kind of brings it home even more when you kind of see some of the some of the symmetry and you remember just where the team was at in those early days to where we are now, but Jordan, have you any thoughts on us hitting seven years? I mean, seven seven is not too far off 10. It's a little, it's a little unnerving. We're coming up close to a decade. We're first graders. That's where we
1: are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird to have something be in your life for that long that is not family <laughs> or a relationship. I mean, it is a relationship, but it's just a weird thing that exists. And we've plugged away at it for a long time through many ups and downs following the Bucks, A lot of ups recently. Uh, I can for sure say that I did not anticipate um, the Bucs winning a championship over that time. span. So that was... Would have been beyond what I ever thought from the moment we did our first episode. So it's just a weird feeling. That's I. I don't know what else to say.
2: It it is unusual because it's been such a constant, and even I think in my own life, how many things have been constant throughout all of that time? You're right. It's kind of it's friends and family, and beyond that, it's very tough to find too many things. So thank you to all of you for listening. We wouldn't still be doing it, I would assume. It's not something that goes seven years. If no one's listening, if no one's interested, the support we've got over the years has just been amazing. Um, the people we've got to know and really become friends with, true talking about the Malky books online, has been kind of beyond anything we would have imagined on that very first episode. And As if any further evidence was needed for just how far we've come. Jordan, do you remember you remember how our first ever episode of Win and Six started? Do you remember what that intro sounded like? No, I don't. Well, it didn't sound quite as good in terms of audio quality. There's sometimes now where I'm like, we could really do it up in our production values. But when you listen to this, we've <laughs> come a long way. You know, I think we were probably recording on tin cans across the Atlantic at that point. And even more than that, I'm glad to say that I now know how to say your surname properly. <laughs> this is true. Hello and welcome to Win in Six, official podcast of behindthebookpass.com. I'm your host and site editor in chief, Adam McGee. Joining me today are two of our great contributors. We've got Ty Windish, and we've got Jordan Tresk. Okay, so that's that's where we we came from. This is where we are now. It's been quite the journey. Here's here's the seven more, Jordan. <laughs> seven more seven more lots lots more good stuff to come hopefully another books championship and you know a couple of new names that maybe can help the books in that that aim over the the years to come so without further ado let's let's pivot over to our conversation with our good friend lucas harkins okay so we are delighted to be joined by a good friend of ours someone we know for quite a few years now this is that we we go back a while uh, once a contributor at behind the book pass and uh, certainly our draft a college basketball expert on site at that time and still a college basketball expert to this day um currently at Heatcheck college basketball national college basketball writer and bracketologist Lucas Harkins Lucas welcome back to Win and Six
3: thanks for having me on i really appreciate
2: it we had a great conversation last year you and i where we basically ran through the same kind of exercise we got your thoughts on the books draft night and of course on that occasion we also had the chance to zoom out for a second and reflect on the books just having won a championship unfortunately we don't have that wrinkle for this year's pod But I guess part of that then going into draft night, part of what's fresh in everyone's mind is the Bucs need to just continue to find players. And if they can find players who can contribute in the now, who can contribute in the next two to three years, even on the kind of Giannis timeline, players who are going to allow them to keep their their spot really at the, the top of the league as a perennial contender, we should be in for a fun few seasons still and the kind of Milwaukee Bucks basketball that I think we're still all pinching ourselves that it's just become the routine. So with that, after the Bucks draft night, what was what was your verdict overall on how things played out for John Horst? You
3: know, I think, to an extent, and I'll defer to you guys on the specifics of how this feels for the Bucks, but from my side of things as a Bucks fan, it kind of feels like, they went into this draft thinking at 24 and the way you should coming off the playoff run is what happened in the playoffs that you need to fix. And I think it was, Oh, if we don't have Chris Middleton, there's a lot of wing issues, um, which I get like EJ Liddell was the guy I wanted at 24. But if you're thinking along the lines of we need to have more wing depth, that, then I don't mind this pick at all. Uh, I think that there's something to be said at 24 that, getting a, at this point in his career pretty much a non-shooter um, is a bit of a concern, especially given the nature of the superstar in Milwaukee. Um, but with that said, getting someone that has gone through a lot, like he said, a really tough journey to get to this point. Um, clearly it seems like a good character addition to a roster that I think you don't want to mess anything up character wise. Um, that's probably the most important thing, honestly, is getting someone who's a talent fit, but also a culture fit for the Bucs right now. They don't need anybody that messes up what seems to be a coherent locker room already. Um, get a guy who wants to be in Milwaukee, which it seems to be the case. And a guy who um, already has NBA size on the wing should defend well on the wing. And if the shot comes along, then you, then you really hit this pick on the head.
2: So before we get into all of the strengths and weaknesses that are there in his game right now, let's. Let's talk a little bit about the adversities come true, basically the journey to this point for for Beauchamp. Bochamp. So, I believe it's four different high schools. Mm-hmm. Um, then, instead of going the college route, coming out of high school, Chameleon BX, which was a training program, um, was his destination following high school with the intent of bulking up his frame, getting himself in kind of professional condition to improve his prospects towards the draft. COVID came along, significantly disrupted that plan. Uh then he goes to junior college at Yakima Valley College. Then he ends up with the G-League Ignite last season. And now he is going to be a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. I certainly in the years I have been doing this have not come across a journey like that for a Bucks draft pick. How many guys can you think of that have something even remotely resembling that coming through junior college? Um, even in this case, not even going the college route and having the ups and downs attached to that. I know talking privately, Jordan mentioned that it's he really has one of the kind of the most uniquely COVID journeys to the, the nBA as well he really is a pandemic prospect, but mm-hmm. can you think of any anyone else who's had just something even somewhat resembling his path to to the NBA draft and to the books?
3: yeah, it's tough. I mean I think because a lot of those guys who take those kind of journeys a they they go longer in their, their careers and that impacts their draft stock. So by the time they take those kind of jumps or that they transfer multiple times in college by the time that they get to the point where they're draft ready, they're probably 22 or 23, um, which impacts where they go draft-wise. I would guess to think of a couple names that are, that, that would be, you know, recognizable Bucs fan-wise, um, Jay Crowder was Juco to Marquette to the NBA um, and a little bit more of a straightforward path, but Duncan Robinson was D2 to Michigan um, and then and then to the NBA. But it's tough. It's hard because it, it really is hard to be able to showcase – because you have to fit. First of all, you have to be able to actually contribute on the team you go to in a new year. And there are coaches sometimes who are um, more akin to sticking with the guys. They know Um, you you come in, you got to learn the system before you really get into the minutes. And if you're not putting up films, film stuff until January of a season, um, how much are you really getting from a scouting perspective? It's tough. Um, And and I think there's something we said that he has the advantage that he was a highly rated recruit out of high school. He was already on people's radar by the time he went to Chico um, so it was a little bit easier, I would guess, but the journey doesn't get any... It's not like it was an easy journey, by any stance. but to be able to have that, already have name recognition when you get to Juco helps, I would think. Um, but yeah, it, it really is a, it's a challenging journey and one that I think you could tell on draft night the culmination of it is significant for him.
2: Yeah. And if, if we're to look at, so, okay, he by the time he gets to Juco, he does have some name recognition he's he's not necessarily kind of in some ways he's at the bottom of the ladder but he's not he's a little higher up than some of the guys he would be teammates with to put that into context and really I'm asking for listeners but I'm asking for me lucas because in my head I I don't know how to place duco basketball for a prospect I don't know how to put any stock in that and it's even This is a really kind of messy one when you're looking at his numbers then because of G League night element and because of the way their schedule is. And you're trying to parse out, okay, well, what's real here? What's not? For example, the shooting that you mentioned up front, and we'll probably dive into a little bit deeper in a minute too. That's a concern. You're trying to parse through his numbers generally and find what's real. What kind of player was he at this level? What kind of player was he at this level? And what can we really take of that now that it's the the major jump up to the NBA? So even if it's just generally with prospects, how would you tend to approach that in terms of evaluating Juco play um, as it kind of pertains to moving up the levels, whether it's into college basketball or the G League or the NBA?
3: Yeah, I feel this with Juco, D2, whatever it is, um, talent is talent um whatever level you're at and if you're a good talent evaluator like if you're an nba M- scouting department you know what you're looking at um and I think there are guys that have come from juco and be successful both in division one and in the nba um the talent finds a way and i think that that's something that you that you'll see um in juco you notice the guys who have um the skills to make it at that next level and i think that even going back to like people who are like you have to play d1 basketball to be deemed like good at college but that's just not the case i mean but any d2 hooper in the country will wax anybody on the planet basically in basketball they're just really talented players and when someone stands out in juco um whether that's Bo champ or somebody else uh that that gets attention And i think that um level wise it's being able to for us as fans and amateur scouts obviously it's it's a lot easier to look at a box score and see what, what we see out of what numbers they're putting up at a level. And that's hard to contextualize um, within a system um, and within a different level of competition, but watching on film, like scouts and front offices are able to do. um, I think that plays a difference. They they know what they're looking at and they know the level they are competing against. And if you see them put up the same kind of stuff against every level they've done, you know what you're going to get.
2: And what I'm really interested about, because I'm still making my mind up on this myself, is G League Ignite. I <laughs> it it doesn't take any kind of deep dive to look at some of the players who, even you look at last year, guys who come to the NBA, guys who've had success, and guys who look like they would be really good players long term. I just still haven't really sure what the developmental effect of it is. Just how much like we can give credit to. G League Ignite for that um, obviously there's a lot going on in terms of mentorship and it certainly seems like in terms of maybe rounding out guys for the pro game, getting them ready for whether it's the business of the NBA or just the maturity they need for that kind of professional athlete life, there may be benefits there but one of the things that I keep thinking of, particularly when you look down and it's between like the, the training program and everything that's involved in his journey he hasn't got to play a whole lot of like traditional organized basketball, like in a team setting. And with G League Ignite too, it's kind of a weird construction that the majority of guys in that team, they are there to showcase themselves and put their best foot forward rather than necessarily say, what does the team need? How can I best fit in on this team to help us to win a championship? So obviously for you and your focus being on college basketball, G League Ignite is, it's something that's come in, it's encroached on your territory in that you're, there's there's guys I'm sure you would love to see play in college who are now skipping and they're, they're taking this route to the NBA. It's still very, very early in the kind of, I guess, the experiment that is G League Ignite. But what are your thoughts on it as a kind of developmental platform for the NBA?
3: You know, I don't know. I think it's a little early to get into how it really plays a factor in how they're developing. I think it's just, we're going to have to see how the guys who've done it the last year or two um, really transition, not only in year one in the NBA, but how that continues and how their development curve really, really is impacted by it. But what I think right now we're seeing is that it's so early that it's so scrutinized. I think it's getting more like their game, like their single game results in with G League Ignite are significantly more um, relevant than a single game college. And I think that that's, that's happening. This draft in particular, we see it. I mean, Bochamp over the last year skyrocketed up draft boards after a pretty good year with G league ignite. Um, whereas a guy like Jaden Hardy dropped into the second round. I mean, comparing, I think you've seen this probably online throughout the day to day today, um, comparing shit on sharp, who was a top rated recruit who then didn't play for a year still goes top 10 versus Jaden Hardy, who was a top-ten recruit, put up inefficient numbers in G League Ignite and goes second round. Um, it, I think we saw both the pros with Beauchamp of G League Ignite and the cons with Jaden Hardy last night, um, on Thursday night for the draft. I think that it's probably over-scrutinized at this point in terms of what, what priority it's given in the scouting process in terms of where guys are falling in the draft stock.
1: I think, too – this is maybe maybe a little too skeptical of what it is, just because, like you said, it's so new. But they the people that have organized, I think Sharif Abdul Rahim is the G League Commissioner, they want it to be a successful launching pad for these guys that don't want to go to college to play, you know, to be drafted high in the draft and say this is like if you play for us for a year. Play a handful of games, I think it's like 14, and then they do like all the exhibition stuff, obviously. You can get guaranteed money. You can, if you become the first, I mean, Jalen Green was a second overall pick last year. He's making what, $9 million a year on a guaranteed contract. And, you know, that can go up to like seven years, at least on the, um, you know, working scale contract. They, it's this interesting dichotomy of like, they want it to be really good. And they're also kind of like insulating the players that choose it. And they don't want anybody to fail. Like I know, I think it was um Deshaun Nix is a guy that we brought up last night in terms of like he went undrafted. I think even what's Kai Soto? Yeah. Maybe a mix. He went there and left the program. Like they don't want those stories to happen, which is why I think it was Mark Spears's story said that, you know, guys like Hardy and guys, uh, Dyson Daniels, they're making fi- like $500,000 with, with Ignite. Bochamp made $75,000. Like they, they viewed him as a risky guy based on the circumstances that led him to where he is now or prior to them. And so you kind of see like from that thought process of like, you know, we're giving you a bone, but like you have to like make it work you know make it really work for us to kind of like you know see that investment throughout so i think that's where it is from that standpoint it's a really kind of interesting and cynical way of like looking at it just because they want it to be a successful pathway where you're not having the lamella balls or rj hamptons go to the mbl or overseas to you know do what was you know what they were doing before that or even Brandon jennings nearly 15 years ago.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you you can't forget that because that is kind of, it was in part set up to avoid that. And there's some opportunism there from an NBA and specifically from a G league point of view. It's like, why let these guys go to Europe or let these guys go go to Australia? If we can sell tickets for them here, if we can have them under our banner before they actually are. And obviously the way even things um, in terms of the financials for players are continuously evolving in college basketball in the past few years like that's still it's it's a funny situation in terms of what g-league ignite is and even more than maybe when it was set up it feels like it really needs to deliver results for those guys that they go there it works out they get drafted to good spots for it to be something that's going to continue to kind of hold the energy that it's had up until this point
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Marjon Beauchamp, his game, Lucas. I'm going to give you my, <laughs> my read on him, and I want to tell you, I want you to tell me everything I'm wrong about, things I might be missing. So, amongst ourselves on our post uh, post draft podcast, Ty and Rohan run with with Jordan and I too, and we watch the draft live and playback, and we're talking true all things. Rohan is ecstatic. This was his guy, and as I said last night, wow, to be so lucky as to have the books actually draft your guy. <laughs> I know you had that experience with Malcolm Brogdon, uh, but it, it doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen for very many people because it's very hard, particularly now that we don't even really get to know who works out for the books anymore to get a handle on any element of their thinking. For me, I'm, I'm kind of just somewhere in the middle on ends. I can see the value in his athleticism. It's been a problem area for the books, which it's funny to think of kind of at a glance because obviously everyone's mind goes to Giannis, but particularly as the roster has got really old the past few years and his veterans have come in, it has lacked some athleticism. His defense, there is real appeal there, particularly in terms of adding to your wing rotation, having another guy who hopefully, whether it's straight away or in the long term, can come in and take tough assignments. But as we all talked about in our post-game pod, The best chance for any prospect to develop with the books under Bud is to be playable as a defender right away. And if you can't do that, you're probably just not going to work out with the book. So he's got a better chance than some others already. Mm -hmm. The shooting does concern me. I haven't seen or read too much to really encourage me about his feel in terms of maybe passing as a secondary playmaker or even any ball handling. So I'm in a spot where I. I kind of want to know where the offense is going to come from and if it's going to come from anywhere because something's something's got to be there. You know, if the shooting, if he's a 35% three-point shooter long-term and he's a really, really excellent defender, you know, you can work with that. And a great athlete, someone who's going to be smart, work off ball, a really good cutter, uh, get a lot of the easy points that playing with Giannis and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, they're going to be there for you. But just kind of, Projecting it out just a little bit further, where would you be looking to, or what are your hopes for his offensive game? Or do you think it is a cause for a legitimate concern in terms of kind of projecting what he'll ultimately become as an NBA player?
3: Yeah, I think there's some concern there um, because I think probably where he's best as an offensive player right now is as a cutter. Um, And if you're not able to space the floor enough to really get a defense up on you, is, is your cutting really all that valuable? Um, I think is a legitimate question um, in terms of where I'd like him to be successful. I think one of the things that's been missing for the Bucks since Dante left um, is really having a wing that offensively rebounds extremely well. Um, and I think he has the athleticism to potentially crash weak side glass, make those kind of points that just, if you pick up six points that you didn't really deserve, but like you earned them, you went for them and got them, but like you kind of sneak six points, here and there. Uh, those have an impact over the course of the game. And that's something that I'd like. That was something I really liked about Dante as a buck. Um, and I think something that would be a good like ancillary skill that doesn't really pop, but, but provides value. Um, but I think when it comes to the bow champ in particular, which isn't the case with many of the first round picks um, is you've seen growth over the past few years and there's a clear evidence of his work ethic. And I think that, the fact that pretty much everyone who's written or talked about him over the past month in, prep, in draft prep has been, he needs to get better as a shooter. I think that stands out. I think he's been told he needs to get better as a shooter. And with a guy who works as hard as he appears to do so, I, I believe that that shot could come along. Um, and I think the other thing that's important is the Bucks' current setup. Um, he's not really going to be like, yes, Chris Middleton does a great job creating from the three spot, but I don't really think you're going to ask Marshawn Beauchamp to come in and be a secondary creator off the bench. I don't think that's really his role. And if someone else is figuring out that role, then all he really needs to do is nail down catch-and-shoot shots. Um, And if that's where the work ethic comes in is getting that, as you you mentioned, getting that catch-and-shoot up into the mid-30s, that's enough, I think.
1: He almost kind of... I think the following words I'm going to say are going to anger people. Uh, Because it's kind of replaced the energy and effort from Jason Kidd. But he kind of epitomizes play random. Oh. Do you you know what I mean? Like, he's not, like, the way that he played with the Ignite and, you know, you're playing with 18, 19-year-olds and, you know, NBA players that are well past their prime and stuff like that, too. So it's just a weird setup. But, like, he adapted to a role that you know really suits where he is he's obviously not that great of a shooter but maximize his utility that way where he can't he's a very good cutter he feeds off the glass as lucas said and like all this different stuff it just you know it hinges on being a passable shooter at this point but like if you're looking for movement if you're looking for guys that can crash the glass that or especially offensively which is become more of a uh you know, emphasis under Bud since, you know, the playoff flameouts of, you know, 2019 and 2020. Like that's, that's Bochamp, you know? And I, I don't know, like, that's where I think that's, even a shot, like, it's not that like he is like, I, I, I don't even know like a, a comparison to it, but it's not that like he doesn't shoot. Like even like, he has a little bit of a kind of like mid-range kind of, uh, game that he has where it's coming off screens and just kind of these one dribble pull-ups or whatever. It's not incredibly fluid, mind you, but it, it still looks good, and I think there is something there. Um, and even Horace, I think, said it in his press conference afterwards, like, I think they feel like it's not that far off from that. And the fact that the Bucks, you know, if they're all indications where they're, they're trying to find a guy that's closer to being playable, um, given where their core is at and all that stuff. Now, if you pick a guy that, yeah, he's not that great of a shooter. And that's the biggest you know thing about putting all these pieces together around Yadis, Chris and Drew, and you know, Brooke to a certain extent too, like, I, I don't know. That's where it, it's a very interesting gamble from where we are standing and just kind of where Bochamp is at too. I think there's something,
3: I, I don't know if it's accurate. I can't speak on behalf of superstars in the NBA. That's, Certainly not my role. But I think that, particularly with, with Giannis, I think that an experienced team that has a superstar like Giannis, when you're looking forward, when you're looking for a guy in the late first round that you think can potentially contribute, I think you have to look for a guy that can earn respect from bets. And I think that Bochamp is one of those kind of guys. Like I think we saw that on, on, on draft night last night, he's kind of instantly turned into someone that is really easy to root for um both on his journey the 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 comments on his work ethic his ability to be a likely good defender and a plus athlete from the jump i think those four characteristics all kind of lean into fitting with what the buck's identity is um and i think that that's going to be something that that helps propel not just like what his skills are but getting confidence instilled in him by his new teammates i think i think will help in that regard
2: what is your what is your expectation for his defense coming into the NBA? Because it is obviously something that I think all books fans are gonna kind of hang their hat on as that's the thing that's gonna get a minute. It's something that likely persuades the books to draft him. So even good defenders, whether it is the college level or if it is along a slightly more unconventional route, as we've seen here, it can be an adjustment. I, I know in some of the stuff I saw from draft experts, some concerns maybe about overhelping, which is something that when you hear that as a books fan, you're like, oh, you'll fit right in. Uh, but I, I think you as we, as we mentioned, yeah, <laughs> as we mentioned on something last night, it's like in one way, in like a in a prospect, you prefer that than the alternative because it's kind of an over-eagerness to to be involved to make plays defensively, but what what do you kind of foresee him being as a defender? Whether it is right from the jump or as he kind of settles into life as a book and we see him develop.
3: I'm only on this pod once a year, so I can have Bucks fans hate me for this. But he, he's going to be a wing. It's okay if he, he's not going to overhelp off of Al Horford. So we're fine. Uh, he just won't be there. But no, but I think I think defensively for him, I think you make a good point. And in, in terms of overhelping, I think off ball is probably where I have a few more questions right now, but I think that that's something that also comes with being in an NBA system and, and gets figured out. Um, obviously having those immediate instincts would be a plus, but I think that that's something that just playing within the Bucks' defensive system, particularly around guys that I think are pretty easy to, to work with defensively. Like when you have Brooke Lopez, who's an extremely intelligent defensive big and Giannis who's the best defender in basketball um it, it is extremely helpful um and I, I think that he already has kind of an idea and that he he knows that defense is his calling card right now and i think that he's aggressive he's physical and the bucks in general are a physical basketball team i think that he fits with that identity and defense because even if you're a smart defender if you're not physical on the bucks defense you're probably not going to play much i mean you need to be physical you need to fit with what everyone else is doing you need to give, if you're able to switch, you need to be physical to adjust to those switches and quick enough to adjust to those switches. Um, and I think that he brings a level of defensive versatility that is important on the wing for the Bucs. Because if I think the biggest key for the Bucs is find, not just finding guys who can play, but finding guys who are 16 year players. Um, and if you can get a guy who's able to give you 10 minutes of just, I'm going to get in your face defensively, I'm not going to let you drive past me. I will pick up three fouls in 10 minutes, but I will like make it hard on you in that time. I think that that's the kind of thing that if you can bring that immediate skill, you can potentially play playoff minutes and the rest will come as the rest of your game comes more, more minutes come. But I think that having um, in particular the way bud coaches having defensive skills off the bat, particularly on ball, um, particularly if you get beat off ball, Giannis is probably there. You're usually okay there if you if you get beat off balls on a back cut, um, you're probably okay. I think that his on ball defense and strength is the most important thing.
2: I will say you're making me feel better about this because you're you're convincing me on the fit and the fit across kind of multiple I, elements. I'm
3: convincing myself because I I, still...
2: I got that feeling, but you're convincing <laughs> me, so I hope you're also convinced. I myself. woke up and threw my box EJ Liddell
3: jersey in the trash.
2: <laughs> well let's let's just briefly then on that like with the guys who were there even if it's heading into the draft you as a books fan who did you have your eye on or who would you have been thinking about as alternatives i do i do think you've come around on this i think you like it you like it enough but who would the who would the alternatives being for you i will say that given who was on the board at the time i was with you ej odell was who i wanted at that point um, and I was kind of hoping for a big to fall, but where, where were you at?
3: There was an exact moment in the draft last night where I felt really good and it turned in a hurry. I think yeah. it was like, pick. I think it was about pick 18 or 19. I felt like there were four guys on the board. I really liked and three of them went like in a row, like I really want like, okay, I pulled up the draft now. Um, Yep. Malachi Branham one of them younger. Wasn't really what I was looking for in like a, like a proven college guy who's played a lot and is like ready to go. But I thought if he slipped to 24, it's a, that's, that was an immediate pick for me. So this was pick 18 was where it was. Dalen Terry, I would have, I would have very much liked. Um, Jake Larivia would have been fine. He's local to me, He played at Indiana state. Um, so I, I have, I, I've watched him play more than a lot of the other guys, but Christian Brown at 21 would have been great. Walker Kessler, I know was a fan of a lot of others because I think, There are not that many teams in the NBA. He fits with super well, and I think he fit with the Bucs super well. Um, I don't think that he's Brooke Lopez, but I think Mm -hmm. that learning from Brooke Lopez could have really helped him um, too because eventually Brooke Lopez isn't going to be Brooke Lopez anymore. Um, The ageless wonder, but eventually something will have to catch up. So I think it was like that point in the draft for me. Where like I really liked Blake Wesley as a prospect. I've watched him here since he was in high school because I'm I'm in Indianapolis. I've watched him in the area um a bunch. He's on the he's on he played in the AAU team right here. Um, but I thought he was not quite
2: ready to play like minutes for the Bucs, which is the not important. a not a John Horace pick, a really nice prospect. He was not a John Horace pick.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that Bochamp makes sense with holes in the board. Liddell was the guy I wanted. There were a few other guys I would have been okay with. Tite Washington, I would have been fine with. I think he's a the kind of guy that I was a little surprised slipped to 29 just because I, I always get the feeling that the playoffs end and then the draft starts and things that are key skills in the playoffs get a little overvalued then, even though they're, they're huge, but like Ty Tai Washington's a great mid-range shooter. And I kind of felt like that would like pump him up a little bit in draft stock, but it was really that 18 turning point with Terry Branham and Brown went three out of four picks. I was getting a little, I, I want Liddell was the guy I wanted most. And, but let's be honest, there are some guys I've wanted that just.
0: just Wade, Baldwin,
2: Wade Baldwin was not what I, uh, I wanted. That's, 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 I was trying to that take was, last night of who like my biggest bust was. Well, that I was that like there's so a,
1: a, That was a 2016 draft, though. And that was like, yeah. So, like, I mean, you could have picked anyone from post probably buddy healed i think you went like eight or nine so like it was very much like a toss-up anywhere you, you look at the draft order no i i've
3: missed on so many of the picks that i've wanted anyways That yeah. I, at a certain point i'm just like uh it's fine i'm sure that they <laughs> they're better they're better than i am at this like i've missed on so many prospects that if they don't take the guy i want that's that's fine
2: I I was watching some uh, Euro I, I was watching some Bisconia last last season for work purposes, and I definitely sent Jordan a message. I was like, Jordan, Wade Baldwin's kind of still, he's kind of still interested. You know, maybe if they'd gone they, that way, things could have turned they, out they differently. Long he can shoot. Those arms the, are really long.
1: <laughs> I didn't get the Elliot Kobo message yet. We were very well, much in that trip.
2: We've got time on that. Usually, <laughs> when I miss, it's like a French point guard wanted Furcon bad I don't remember
3: if he was even I don't remember what if he was even available in the Bucks picks that year but he was on the list of guys I was like I would be fine with this
2: uh, on Liddell just before we move on to the the rest of the the incoming books, do you have any feel for what happened there because to me he no. was the guy I, I wanted I wanted centers if centers fell because I thought this was a a really unique opportunity. And that as you touched on there, there were guys who they're not Brooke Lopez, but guys that you could get Brooke to mentor and get something, something kind of cooking there. It's not going to be as good as what you have, but given the lack of assets at your disposal, the clock ticking on that, I thought that was a really good opportunity, which ultimately wasn't there. And there were rumors the books wanted to draft up possibly with that or to trade up possibly with that in mind. But, you know, they can want to trade up all they want. You've got to have something to actually move up in the draft. Liddell's the guy, though, that from there, I was like, this is the obvious. Like, this is the player when you watch the playoffs. It's the teams who have a guy like this. It's when it becomes most valuable. And honestly, we saw some of that with P.J. Tucker. I'm not saying he's P.J. Tucker, but nah. it's just it's, it's that type. And that's a type that horse, I feel like as much as anyone else has coveted for years, even when he got like late career, Marvin Williams had become a forward in that kind of mold. Like he's been trying yeah. everything he can every year we get to a certain point And he's like, who is the forward? Who's going to be strong. They're going to be able to shoot it a little bit and we can go small ball and it's going to work out. And it's always something he's looking for. And I was like, well, there's a guy. And then to not just see the books pass over him, but see him fall like that. It seems to surprise everyone, and I still haven't really found a clear answer as to what happened there.
3: I think there's a uniqueness about him that you have to like. Uh, I fell in love with him at Ohio State because I think that there's just there's something about his shot selection just that always feels no, 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 yes. Like he really like he's like he's got this eight to ten footer like fadeaway that's contested. That's just it's a tough shot to really sell. Like you watch it a few times, you're like, Ugh, I don't really like that shot. But when you hit it 50% of the time, I mean, he was one of the best out, like between the paint and three point shooters in college basketball the last like two years. Um, it's a unique game that he has. I and mean, That's why like if you aren't sold on that part of his game, translating, especially if you're going to play him at the five, if people, if, if your scouting department thinks he's going to play the five, he's going to have a really hard time getting that big part of his game off. And I think that that's, that's the concern with him. I would have preferred to play him at the four. Um, and if you play him at the four, whereas the foot speed on the perimeter is the other question. It's a weird – he's a unique player that I thought was um, going to go first round. But I, I guess, like, I'm not that surprised at the slide. to 41, yes, but uh, not that bad. I think that there's, there was things in that that just – you can point to him and be, hey – he's played a lot in college already. How much better does he get from this point? And what are his skills now and how do they fit? Um, And there's not like something that's perfect that comes to mind. It's like, he doesn't have one like super elite skill um, at his size, that necessarily stands out. I don't think.
1: It feels like Grant Williams from a couple of years ago where he was. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll see how EJ Liddell's career goes, but, there was, if I remember correctly, and my memory is increasingly failing me, but I just remember this talk around Grant Williams was like, well, what does he look like when he's not like a lead option, when he's not, you know, having the most of the touches and stuff like that. And that kind of seems like that was the case with Liddell here, where obviously improved year over year. I, he was a Big Ten player of the year, but I think runner-up or something like that this year could be wrong there. Um, but like time was loaded
3: with bigs. That that was a loaded big conference this year. I mean,
1: yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like just seeing what he did over the course of his career at Ohio State, and I think he, last year he went into the draft and kind of didn't get great feedback, and just you know took what he had to get or took we had to improve on, and took that to heart, and you know a great season stuff like that but it's that's always like the weirdest things that you know come draft time and especially as someone like ab and i were we're like oh that like that looks like an nba player that's like watching how playoffs work and like that's you see that why don't teams like that <laughs> and i don't know it's just this weird feeling that we get every year where it's if if it's not ej lodell or grant williams it's maybe like a bull bull type where it's like this guy is just a character question or something like that, but that obviously was not the question here.
3: Yeah. It just doesn't feel like the more I've watched drafts and the more I've gotten older with watching the draft, it it just feels like the guys who slip, like always like, this was the steal of the draft. And then something just doesn't fit. I I don't know what it is. They're they're like, I remember Deontay Davis, 2015 draft, probably like fell into the second round, just never came around. And, And I just, I obviously, I want EJ to be a good player. And if he's a good player, I'd like him to trade the Bucks. But I, 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 I root for him. But there's something like – it's not like he went 27 where I would feel worse about him. Yeah. Past on at 24. There's just something about if there are so many GMs who are way better at their jobs than I will ever be at mine or at scouting basketball, um, that past on, there's something that I'm missing. And I, and I guess that I have to trust on that.
2: Yeah, could could be something in the medical files either. At that, point. that's usually that comes out, but it it does seem like something that everyone who's just watching him as a player, no one's seen what's happened there. So maybe it's that. Okay, we'll move on to the second round. The books, second round pick. None of us were expecting this after you know Adam Silver took away the second round pick, but John Horst <laughs> was determined to have the last word in the second round. So we bought back in 58 overall pick from the Indiana Pacers. At our time of recording, this deal is still just reported. Hasn't been confirmed as we touched on last night. That is likely because of the waiting for the the NBA year to cross over and the amount spent on um, draft picks to reset. We don't have a reported number that I've seen for even what they've paid here, but I'm guessing it's significant enough. And with that pick, the Bucs took French guard Hugo Basson, who has been playing in the NBL with the New Zealand Breakers. And before I throw it to you, Lucas, for your thoughts on Basson, and it, it does seem, Eric Name reported earlier today, that it seems like he is going to be a draft and stash for the Bucs. That seems to be the plan right now. Um, I, I got our GSPN colleague Ron Coddy to uh, pass on a a scouting report that came from the NBL who better placed in the NBL than uh, the NBL champion head coach, head coach of the Sydney Kings and formerly the head coach of Wisconsin Heard Chase Buford to run the rule over players in there. And when Ron asked for his thoughts on Hugo Besson, uh, Chase said he's an instant bucket. He scored like 17 straight points in a game before Go watch the second half of their overtime game versus Pert. You won't be disappointed. So positive, positive soundings coming from chase on that. And honestly, once I took a brief look uh, in between us, finishing watching the draft before we started last night, I was like, I don't know nothing about this guy. Let me just take a quick look at some highlights. I was like, Oh, this is my kind of player. Uh, (laughs) He's just, he's all flair. And, that is something that is very trailing for me. I'm scratching my head as to why the Bucs bought in, why the Bucs picked him, why the Bucs are stashing him, though. And that is the wrinkle that is kind of making it intriguing. We know there is a need for consistent point guard play. Uh, I don't know where you're at on Luca Vildoza, if you're as big a fan, with the very brief cameos that we've seen, that I think all of us at GSPNR are, but even that's pointing to the books are looking for something. They're kind of dabbling in. Can we find any market inefficiencies overseas? Can we get an offensive minded backup point guard one way or another into the mix here? Um, More of a combo guard for Hugo Bassam. But what, what did you know about him prior to this? And what what's your thoughts on him overall?
3: I'm not sure what the combo is, honestly. I think he's a pure scorer. Um, uh, I don't see much. Passing necessarily at this point. Fair. Um, No, I think I I dare any Bucks fan to go on YouTube and look up anything on Hugo Bisson and not walk away thinking that they are just that they got the greatest thing on earth. I mean, he
2: really
3: really feels like the definition of why highlight tapes were made. Shoot Shoot enough tough shots and extremely fun looking deep threes with a quick release got a great handle. He really does. Is a great handle. The shot looks good. Um, that when you make 33% of them, if you put 100% of those in the highlight tape, you look awesome.
1: <laughs> like Wayne Gretzky, look, Michael Scott. That's sort yeah, of yeah. he,
3: he looks really fun. Um, I think the offense, the scoring can be there. I think that the handle is great. The three pointer has, has potential. He doesn't shoot at an extremely high rate right now. But I mean, it really doesn't take that much film to know that he's not shooting the easiest looks from deep either um that i think i like him as a draft and stash guy because of two things one if he can defend at all that kind of that that development really helps and, and two if he becomes an elite shooter but the handle he has um he draws enough attention where i think that there's room for passing development like at, at a certain point if you're getting covered that tightly on the perimeter you're, and you have a good handle where you're not going to turn it over all that much um being able to create out of that becomes easier than really needing to create having the, just having the openings to create. I think, I think he has the ability to do. Um, I think the draft and stash makes sense. I think it's get passing better, get his defense better and see if something happens. I like it. I think it's a score. It's a bench score kind of, kind of ideal. Um, like we've seen, Six-man-of-the-year guys are almost always guards that shoot a lot and score a lot. Uh, and the Bucks who really don't have anyone who's really a flamethrower off the bench. Uh, I think that that's, that's the hope in a few years if he's a drafting stash and he comes around to that. Um, he's certainly exciting. I think he's a fun guy to have just, just as an idea. Like, he kind of feels like the guard version of Bruno Caboclo.
2: Oh, wow. That's, uh, <laughs> like, that's a – that's a comp. He might be two years away from being two years away. Yeah, there we go. He's he's 21. Yeah, he's he's, if he's 25 and he can I can I can live with two years away from two years away. If at 25 what I
3: mean by that is he's he's just fun. And I think that they're excited about his game that if things come along, you can easily see
1: um intrigue. It's not like he's hasn't played in like I, I I
2: I do been know the
1: radar for a while.
3: This is that's not, what I was gonna say. Yeah,
2: he's, 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 he's been playing real basketball. Like yes. he's he's not playing in lower tier pro leagues. He's not, like he he's not a guy playing at good standard. At he's yeah. not a guy at
3: 58 who's international who you've never heard of.
2: Yeah, like
3: if you followed the draft or if you like really followed any international like draft potential for the past three or four years, he's a guy who's already on the radar.
2: Yeah. I I believe he is out of contract with the breakers. So that's the thing with stashing him. I wonder what kind of his next step does he, does he stay in the NBL? Does he come back to Europe? Did I try to, you know, if he's in Euroleague and all of a sudden then he's holding his own pretty well in the Euroleague. Well then my God, no one's going to be able to contain my excitement for, I'm just going to be talking about Hugo Bassan all the time. But I, I really like him as a pick. It's just, Jordan and I were even talking about this just before we started. It's like, when's the last time the book stashed a guy? Like, not not that they had a guy stashed because they've been, inherited a few kind of guys who were never going to come over. They've held their rights, but it's it's probably Urson. It's certainly it the last guy of any known. But even Urson came right away. And
1: anyway, he, he went had back, a tough which, yeah, he had a tough year, which is not that's not a normal way of doing it. And nothing about Urson's
2: journey was normal either. Exactly. We
1: don't have to go into any more <laughs> of that. Um, but yeah, that's where it's like, it's going to be really interesting if he takes ownership of where he goes, if he goes back to the NBL and plays for the Breakers, or what if he wants to kind of test himself even further and maybe try to latch on to a team in Europe? I don't know.
2: Maybe Bud can get the, the Tony Parker in for him and get him back to, to Euroleague. That's. Was that the team that you played for? I it wasn't. Um, but you know, Tony Parker's an owner now, so that is true. Bud, Bud's got his number, I'm sure. They they were together long enough. Maybe we can get him some quality Euroleague playing time and see who he holds up. Okay. Two-way contract for AJ Green. Gonna be honest. I I know this is gonna be insulting to someone like you, Lucas, who's probably been locked in on AJ Green for a very long time. Uh a- AJ Green to me uh was not a basketball player. Uh, when I heard the name, I was like, oh, really? You're like
3: he's a hell of a bang- random. The,
2: the Bengals guy? <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's an interesting move. Um but no, in all seriousness. Uh interesting college career. Seems like one of those guys that The Bucs have kind of dabbled in this space before, back end of the draft, undrafted. What can they find? Guys who are in slightly less illustrious programs but have had decorated enough college careers. What's your feeling on AJ Green? Is this this a two-way that could surprise us and could have some NBA utility? Or is this just a guy who is going to be super reliable as an everyday kind of key cog of the herd and help the herd to sell tickets and be a competitive team?
3: So you, you got really close to the first sentence of my last paragraph of my article on undrafted guys. Um, this feels like taking a shot on Sam Merrill for a second time.
2: I, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and I
3: love Sam Merrill and I love AJ Green. Like I, they're both guys that I, that I like to watch play, but if we're going to make an American football reference, he's a field goal kicker. Like they're, he's a, he's a sniper. Like he will get it done from deep. Um, I think, it's easy to get dissuaded by playing three years in Northern Iowa um, in the Missouri Valley, which is a good mid-major league, but it's still mid-major league. And I, and I get that the fans who mainly watch the NBA don't necessarily see that as a great place to be, to be coming from. But a month and a half ago, AJ Green was between three places for next season. He was going to the NBA, he was going to Duke or Iowa State. That was pretty much where it was. He was in the transfer portal and, and he took visits to Duke and his uncle as, the coach, as an assistant coach at Iowa State. He was going to play high major basketball this year if he didn't go pro. Um, he's, he's an elite shooter. I mean, no doubt about it. Like he's a career 38% three-point shooter, which doesn't, like, jump off the page, but it does when you shoot over seven attempts a game. Um, he was the guy from Northern Iowa. He missed his junior year basically the entire thing with injury. He played three games, and you can tell. They went 20-plus win season, 10-win season, 20-plus win season. 20 plus win season. Uh, he, he impacts winning as a scorer. And I think a lot of people like to talk about free throw shooting as an indicator of three point percentage. How's 90% sound like he fits in the same realm of, of Sam Merrill as like a guy who's played, who's played at a really good mid-major conference. Sam Merrill played in Mountain West closer to a power conference in the Missouri Valley, but a good league. Um, it was very successful there can really score can really shoot. Um, if his defense or his athletic, defense and athleticism can hold up, I can see him being a reserve option. Um, but at the very least, I think to, to your point, um, Adam, is that is that he can be, I think, a steady presence, um, at least with, with the herd. And I think that there's a lot to like um, with his offensive game. And just if you need a guy, step in um, and shoot some shots. It, like it, I think this is a weird comment because they played entirely different levels. They're different. The guy I will compare him to has more playmaking skill than AJ Green does. But I think if I'm thinking the best case scenario, realistic best case scenario, he feels kind of a Peyton Pritchard idea.
1: Mm. Okay. I was even going to say, like, from my, uh, again, brief <laughs> YouTube watching of him, it's they are trying to find that, with it's you could say the same thing with Hugo Bassan, like they are looking at these kind of crappy guards that get their shot off at any point, whether it's a tough shot or or whatever. Like Green has a super high release and just can just put it up wherever he can. He's shooting shots like well beyond the arc. Like they're finding or not finding, but they're trying to find that kind of archetype of just super creative with the ball can separate guys, even if it's, you know, it's not like AJ Green's like a, you know, high athlete by any means, but he's very, at least. He's so fine. I
3: think. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I they're trying to find something with at the guard spot in that case, whether it's, I mean, it started with like a, you know, Bill um, even with that being a late move, but that's where it's, I, 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 I mean, we'll see how it pans out, but it is very interesting to see this kind of repeat or repetitive kind of, I don't know, role chasing that the Bucks are doing at that spot.
2: Do yeah, just... Do you see any like I? I'm not going to let you off the hook easily. I I hear everything you say, but is there a chance that he kind of hangs better than Sam Merrill? That he has the ability to just, I guess, compete, hold his own a little bit more defensively? Like, have you seen anything in that to suggest he could have a chance of, I guess, succeeding where it hasn't worked out for Sam Merrill?
3: You know, I think one of the bigger differences between the two is long-term relevance. I think it is important. I'll get to this in a second. Like, Sam Merrill was a diamond in the rough at Utah State. Like, truly, he was. He was a sub-400 recruit who played really well there, and he blossomed into a really, really good player. Um, A.J. Green's not that way. He was a four-star recruit, top 100 kid out of high school. Um, committed to Northern Iowa because his dad was on staff, mainly. Um, he's been in tough AAU environments. He's played in college. He's played in tough environments.
2: To, uh, to your point, one of the first things that came up when I was looking on YouTube see what I could find for him, it's a video from seven years ago talking about him as like this highly thought of one of the best prospects in the state.
3: Yeah. He's always been a shooter. Like he's all, he's always been a scorer and a shooter. That's been his reputation. Like I said, it when you're like, you probably have more notice of AJ green. Like, yeah, he's been on my radar for five to seven years. <laughs> Just like when you're as highly rated as he is, he was like, by the time he was a sophomore in high school, he was on the radar for D one colleges and high major ones at that. Um, uh, he's always been in the mix. And I think that that, um, plays a factor into things. Um, I don't know necessarily what I see defensively. I think he's probably quicker than Sam Merrill was, but he's not as big either. Um, Merrill was six, five, legit, I think, six, five, six, four, six, five. I think green's more in the six, three range. So, so I think it's something about, um, positionally there, if AJ green can develop his playmaking a little bit more where he can be more of a combo than a two, um, that's something to question because um, he's mostly ran the two when he was at Northern Iowa. Um, but in terms of what I think there's probably more likelihood of his offensive game translating um, because of the longevity of, of being one of the best shooters in, in his age group for years now.
1: And there's, there's the age factor too. I mean, yep. Sam Merrill yep. obviously, you know, he goes on, I think it was two years for his misinterpreted to like was. It was I was looking when I did that article for a subsect a couple of weeks ago. I was like, he was 25 when he got drafted. Yeah. He would have been 24 if you know the world didn't have a pandemic going on. But that's still very old. Like that's not, I mean, that's even older than when Malcolm Brogdon got selected too. So like, yeah, that's a very unique reading. Yeah. We'll <laughs> never
3: we'll never forgive the Browns.
2: <laughs> Iverson Mulliner. This is the the last name we have for now uh, from Panama city playing for Mississippi state six 3 guard. What's your read on him? I mean, to this point I haven't seen anything. I don't know, Jordan, if you've seen otherwise as to whether this is just a summer league deal. If this is exhibit 10 exactly what this is, but it was one of those deals, a guy that the book seemed to have moved pretty quickly for. So, whether it's that they have their eye on aim to be a kind of a permanent fixture in Oshkosh next year or whatever it is, it's clearly a player that they they like to some degree.
3: Yeah, I think he fits with kind of what we've been talking about. He's a high usage lead guard. Um, that kind of fits hopefully in event role. Is like I think what we've talked about now with Basson and with with Green is just hoping that you get a guy who can score um, partic- at hopefully at two levels, and, and one of those being from three. Um that can create a little bit from themselves. He's really a high usage guy, mostly self-created, um, lives in the mid range, took 200 mid range jumpers last year, 75 of those makes 75 of his makes were unassisted. Um, does a lot off the dribble, uh, a very interesting statistical shooting profile, which is hard to manage. Um, 44% from three as a sophomore, 80% at the free throw line. Great. Um, This past year, 25% from three, but shot 87% at the free throw line on 180 attempts. He's, it's interesting. If the shot's there from distance um, and he can really create for himself in that way, uh, there's intrigue there. I think that it's kind of fitting that mold with, it's hard to see him, it's hard to envision him, at least what he did at Mississippi State. It's really kind of hard to envision him seeing a like ancillary role when he's on the floor. Like I think he's either, the, the leader of a second or third unit, or he's probably not in the rotation. If that makes sense, like I think he needs the ball in his hands to really operate um, in the best way that he can. I think he's a high usage guy. Whether he's high usage in 10 minutes um, or 20 minutes is is different, but I think he's probably going to remain high usage um, with the way his game plays.
2: One of the things I saw with him that kind of caught my eye just in in watching some videos, it's kind of like an interesting change of pace element to how he moves. His movement is a little bit funky, kind of off speed. And that's not something I've seen a whole lot of. It seems to be something he was getting quite a lot of success in getting to the rim, not by blowing by guys, but just kind of wrong footing his defender. And... Yeah, I
3: think part of that's his scouting report, I think. He's got such a good pull-up in the mid-range that if he even hesitates at all in that area, you probably think as a defender he's going up. Uh, like he's so good in that area that allows him to get towards the basket a little bit more, just with a little bit of a hesitation or a jerk or a jerk move.
2: Yeah, so it'll be look. It's going to be interesting to see what that kind of how that holds up at whatever level he's really going to settle up with the books or however they're going to use him or decide to take a further look at him. All right, we we need to get you out of here pretty shortly. You've been very gracious with your time, but I guess we'll wrap up overall thoughts on the draft where it's the top of the draft, middle of the draft with you it could be right kind of towards the back end of the second round but what were the picks that stood out to you or what teams were apparent as winners or losers
3: I'm pulling it up to make sure I, I, I'm remembering exactly where everybody went because a while last night I was like okay I actually have a Bucks pick to pay attention to you. I don't think they're going <laughs> I, I to trade it I feel pretty good about this Um, wow
2: really you were that confident that they wouldn't trade it
3: well once we got to like 18 i felt okay i felt like at some point they would use 24 as like the third team in a bigger trade yeah Uh, that that was my thought was like i don't think they'll give it up just kind of as part of their own deal i think it'll come as something else you know i like the spurs draft quite a bit i think Sohan's kind of a a fit as just kind of playing over like a an ancillary role. I like Branham as kind of a, Branham and Wesley as a combo um, bringing in. I think one of those two is going to work out um, as kind of a scoring, creating guard. I know that a lot of people have discussed them as having a weird draft, but I like what the Thunder did. Um, I think Jalen Williams is a really good player. Um, I, I think Chet at two is interesting. I kind of feel this way about anyone who goes who's been like hyped for a long time as like this kind of generational type of talent, weird talent, exciting in this way. It's been exciting for years. Like it kind of feels like we get to that point where it's now been 4 months since the draft, since the season ended, or 3 months since the season ended and it just kind of wanes. I'm like we're kind of sick of talking about Chet Holmgren and it kind of gets lost in the midst of those three guys. Like he's a really good basketball player and you, and you start to nitpick the concerns and his are more obvious. Like you really just have to see a picture of him and you get the concern, Mm -hmm. but 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 there's stuff there. Like he's, he is incredibly tough. He is very physical for a guy who doesn't have a big frame. Like he doesn't get pushed around like you'd expect. Um, so I like what they've done. Um, I think pairing pairing Cade Cunningham with Jaden Ivey is really fun. That's going to be a really fun duo to watch. I think Jaden Ivey is the most electric player in this draft. Pure, just pure athleticism. Now, Granted, I'm a little biased there. He is the guy I've been. I walked into a gym three years ago for an AAU tournament as a Butler fan and Butler writer. I walked in. He played for Indy Heat, the the AAU team here. And I walked in, I was about five, 10 minutes into that game. I was like, ah, I'm going to win another court. He's not going to Butler. <laughs> 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 that's not going to happen. <laughs> and he, then he committed to Purdue. And I was like, OK, that makes sense. Um, he's like, I, I, couldn't, I, I never understood his recruiting ranking. I was really high on Jaden Ivy for a while. I have tweets from multiple years ago.
2: I, you've I, got I, receipts. I have, this is what you're saying. Yeah, you've got those
3: receipts. I'm being very high on Jaden Ivy. And I think that's still the case. Um, I like him a lot. I think we already talked about being able to get E.J. Liddell in the second round I think is a big steal. Um, I kind of feel that way about Jaden Hardy, too. Jaden Hardy kind of feels a little bit like Brandon Boston last year. Um, hiring recruit didn't have a great year. Um, G League, obviously, for Hardy, and Boston really struggled with efficiency at Kentucky. Um, still young, like built basically built to score. Any sort of efficiency comes along with that the next level. I think it's a really good pick in the second round. I didn't like um, taking Boston in the first round last year either, but if I think he went in the fifties, yeah, um, he was late, which felt like a steal at that point. Probably the, the two biggest, three of the biggest second round sleepers went within four picks for me. Um, I really like Ryan Rollins out of Toledo. I think he does a lot really well. Um, I think he's a good player. Josh Minow out of Memphis. I know a lot of people loved him. Um, if you read, if you read Hollinger's. Athletic piece today. He would have picked Mino on every pick until he got picked. Basically. <laughs> and I and I like and I, I like Vince Williams um, quite a bit as, as as a big wing who could shoot it um, out of VCU. I think those are some guys I really look at um, as being pot- potential value value adds.
1: I think we talked about it uh, on the playback last night, but like it kind of feels. I don't want to say what chalk because there were some 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 surprises um certainly but especially if you like look at the lottery it kind of went how it was projected to be outside it's of the things like trades George say outside the... of bank going number one yeah that's, that's true the first pick
2: the, yeah, the lack the, of big trades shaking up the order like which uh, obviously everyone was reporting in advance oh you know we could have lots of player movement big trades and without that it's kind of teams are in the spots where they'd be ultra at the process and yeah. they're picking the guys they had their eye on for the large yeah. part.
3: I mean, honestly, one of the bigger surprises of the night for me was the 31st pick in the draft. I, I, I really like Andrew Nemhart. I have no idea why the Pacers needed another point guard. Yeah. Like, that's it, it didn't make any sense to me for them to get another, like they felt like their only need was anything except point guard. <laughs> and well, they wanted...
2: I've seen some Brogdon <laughs> comps for him and he may be replacing Brogdon that's true in, in a like,
3: yeah I don't know
2: I'm not I'm not saying I agree with that I'm, I wasn't that high on him as a prospect uh, you know a lot more so don't take me saying that as meaning anything no, but I, 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 I have seen the Brogdon comps so them uh, supposedly like looking to trade Brogdon and drafting him is interesting
3: yeah I kind of get that as Nembhard was a really good collegiate defender uh, Bragdon was national defensive player of the year um, in college. I think that Brogdon was a more proven shooter. Neymar's a better passer. I think Neymar's more of a pure point, for sure. Yeah. I think he's definitely more of a pure point than that. Um, but I can kind of see it. I, 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 but I was a little surprised that there wasn't a deal yesterday. Like, if, if the Pacers were going to go get a point guard, I was a little surprised that something didn't happen already. Um, in that case, was, I think Pacers fans here are a little confused, honestly. Yeah.
1: The only player that was moved in any trade outside of like draft picks was the Melton, right? Yeah. No. yeah and
2: so. Danny Green. And Kemba um, to be as an Asari dump. But... That's
1: right. Yeah. That's right. But, oh,
2: but yeah, the yeah. D- Anthony Melton's like the only player who's actually going to be playing uh, oh, guaranteed guarantee.
3: Right. I forgot that trade ended up in David Roddy going first round, which I love David Roddy. I think that, I think he's, he's a really good player, really interesting player. Um, He's probably one of the guys I'm most excited to watch in the NBA out of this draft class. I think I'm very, I'm very intrigued to see um, how he plays.
0: He Memphis kinda-
1: is hit hit rate too. They have, I mean, it's Bain, Zaire Williams, even though he was kind of a higher draft pick. But like, they always find these guys that like, it's whether it's draft Twitter, but or just no, I didn't
3: they-, they, they follow like 15 draft Twitter guys and then hit nba and then fuck people i follow and they pick those guys in it
1: i had not even heard of vince williams and when i saw it, i was like oh yeah that's like a perfect memphis pick like <laughs> they just see it. it's like they have their brand now whereas like it's not grit and grind anymore it's draft twitter that's what it is <laughs> no, really. it's, like, it, it,
3: it's, it's almost a joke that it's like i feel like memphis is trying to get the number one draft grade on the blog sites.
1: <laughs> it's true <laughs> And,
3: and they and they work. I mean, they're really good at it. They have great talent evaluation. It Feels like they're, but it is kind of amusing that like every pick I like look at the go, like, Okay, yep, I really like this guy. Okay, they're gonna take you. <laughs> <laughs> if I was a Grizzlies fan, they would. I they would. I would love every pick they ever take.
1: Yeah,
2: that must be nice. You know, it must <laughs> be nice as a fact. uh This this one certainly could have been a lot worse for the Bucks. Um, I making the pick, we made or something. A pick. Yeah. I know and Jordan did everything on our our pre-draft pod to just I mean make me hit rock bottom on the idea that there was no chance they were taking the pick and I was like oh, can we just can we just get a first round pick can we just actually have a, a rookie of some kind of intrigue some value on the roster again and we'll see how that goes yeah, so. the
3: reporting—the reporting of a possible trade up just felt like a stab. Like they are going to trade out of it in general. Yeah,
1: like, I was like, yeah. why? Why are you creating this expectation that you're going to trade up? Like, what are you going to trade up with? What? I know. And, and knowing what they talked about post draft, like they thought of Bochamp that highly that they were going to go after him if he sure. was being around there. So. That is it's easy to say
2: that again. It's like, very, yeah, it's very easy like... to say that. Very difficult for the books to move anywhere in the draft with no assets that anyone wants. Different
3: ownership, but but from the from the franchise that brought Thon Maker at ten. It's true,
1: it's true. But
3: but no, I, I think that not only using a pick, but I think getting a guy that after not using many first round picks recently that is like instantly made the entire fan base unite. I'm like, yep, I'm going to root for this guy is, is fun. Really. It's enjoyable to feel like it kind of, like my whole timeline last night of Bucks fans, which I think I've probably unfollowed everyone who's negative anyways. (laughs) um, Everyone was like, this is fun. (laughs) Like, yeah, he's got, there, there are some, there are some concerns, but of course he went 24th in the draft. Let's be honest. If you didn't have a weakness, he goes top five. That's, yeah. how everyone, that's how everyone is if you don't have weaknesses, you're gonna go higher. There's if you're picking a 24, you're never gonna get a perfect product. But if you can get a guy that you walk away from draft night as a fan thinking, oh, I have a guy that I I'm happy to root for him, I think that's 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 a good sign.
2: Yeah, well well, you've sold me even more over the, the course of this episode. You've sold yourself, I think, too. So if if we've oh, helped yeah. you in that, that's great. <laughs> if we've given you a chance to just talk yourself into it for an hour. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're all we're able all able talk
3: about the draft since it ended pretty much so i think it's a, a, it's been a good time to be able to actually sit down and relive it a little bit
2: <laughs> well it's it's great to have you on it's always a pleasure uh to i would say talk with you but really it's we listen because we are not the experts you are the expert um so it, who knows maybe the time will come lucas where the books will have draft picks on a regular basis like every year and we could work in regular check-ins throughout the year. The books don't want to give us too many opportunities to talk prospects with you, uh, but a pleasure again. Um, If you're listening, if you haven't heard Lucas before, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should do that. You will be much smarter about all things college basketball and about prospects, but as on the next draft comes around, he's there at Hardwire Sports. Anything else you want to plug? Anything else you want want to let people know?
3: That's pretty much it. If you want to see more words on AJ Green, they come out this weekend.
2: <laughs> Ooh, Interesting. We I'll, I'll be watching closely. Okay, that does it for us. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Eurostep Podcast Network. You'll get all episodes of Win in Six, myself and Jordan. You'll get all episodes of the Eurostep with Ty and Rohan, and you'll get all crossover episodes between us. Uh, I believe up next, We'll have something a little bit different. We'll talk about Rise, the Giannis film, which has just landed on, on Disney+. Plus. So look for that, I would say, early next week before we very quickly shift focus into free agency and what will be another busy and you know high-stakes week for the books. Make sure you subscribe to us on Substack, gspn.substack.com. You get any articles we post there in addition to most of our podcasts go through there if you want to just stay on top of all things you can do that we're on youtube you can subscribe there at win in numerical value six podcasts that's us on twitter i'm at adam McGee 11 jordan's at jordan tresky thanks again to all of you for listening thank you jordan thank you and most importantly thank you lucas
3: thank you guys for having me on always a pleasure.